So I want to take a moment now to thank the Digital Hub because they are the main sponsors for this season of InspireFest, the podcast. The Digital Hub is in the Liberties in the heart of Dublin city. It's a collaborative space and it's home to lots of technology and digital media companies. But it's more than just an office. Hi, my name is Diego Solorzano. I'm the CEO of Square One. We are a web and mobile application development company and we specialize in solutions for publishers and high traffic sites. We find it great because of the number of companies that are here, the networking, the way that you can easily share ideas and meet for coffee, lots of people that are in the same industry as us. You can find out more about Diego and lots of other innovators at thedigitalhub.com. Now, back to the show. Hi everyone and welcome to episode three of InspireFest, the podcast. So in this episode, we have two really inspiring authors. We have Sue Black and we have Kelly Hoey. This interview kind of came about a little bit organically in that myself and one of the producers, Sean, we were backstage at InspireFest and Sue and Kelly had, I think they'd given their talks and their friends, they were chatting and we kind of saw them, myself and Sean looked at each other and said, oh, we have to talk to those two about, you know, what it's like to write a book, etc. So we sort of, we, we ushered them into our little podcast room and we just switched on the microphone. I mean, because they, they know each other, they were kind of bouncing off each other. So it was, it was fun. So just to introduce them, Kelly is the author of Build Your Dream Network. Now, if you're anything like me, I'm a bit of an introvert and the thought of networking sort of brings me out in a cold sweat. But I have to say, you know, just listening to Kelly talk, I kind of went, you know, it inspired me with a bit more confidence about going into a room. And Sue Black is, she's well known to, if you've ever been to InspireFest, you know Sue Black. So Sue has done loads of things. She's the founder of Tech Mums. She's been celebrated. She's got an OBE. She wrote a book called Saving Bletchley Park, which got a huge audience. And it really sort of made a difference to Bletchley Park, which is where the code break were in the in Britain in, in World War II so there's a really interesting story there. You'll also hear a clip from Sue Black's talk at InspireFest and it's well worth checking out in its entirety because she has such an interesting story of how she used tech really to turn her life around and now she uses it to turn other people's lives around. So be sure to check that out on the siliconrepublic.com website. But enough from me, let's hear from them. Kelly Howie, I'm the author of Build Your Dream Network. Kelly, what is the biggest risk of being an author? <laughs> no one wants to read the book. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I say that jokingly, but there, it's, 
it's an uncomfortable place uh, when you haven't had the desire or the burning desire to do something in my case writing a book and when you get that burning desire and will will it fly will you achieve that dream will you reach that ambition that's the big risk and what's the big opportunity of being an author people want to read your book uh, you can say that there's there's the big opportunity. No, for me, it's when uh, I get an email or I get a note from someone and they say that the advice, the guidance that is in the book has transformed their career or I want to say put them into action to achieve something that they've always been desiring. And that that opportunity to, to help someone else achieve their dreams. I mean, you can't put a price tag on that. Is there any particular piece of advice that you've given through your books that people have a lot of people have come back and said that made a difference to my life. A lot of people are having a lot of aha moments with Build Your Dream Network and uh, you know for some of them it is understanding um, how they can further human relationships better and other people who have thought they have been great networkers have realized they're actually not uh, and they need <laughs> to change how they're behaving and then in some cases people really realize from reading Build Your Dream Network that they have all the pieces in place. And as one woman who had seen me speak at a couple of conferences, she came up to me the second time and she said, you know the advice you gave last year in your book? Well, I took the step and I quit my job and I'm starting my own business. And you know, for them to actually realize that they have the power and the tools in place and they just, they didn't see it. It's a connected economy global, local, online, offline. It's a connected economy. And at this point in time, we can focus on the technology or we can take a step back and say, it's the people behind it. It's the relationships that are important and matter more than ever before in this hyper-connected world that we live in. So I got a quote, and I, I was kicking myself yesterday, but it's a really good quote, and I'm sorry, because people who know me, and sorry to the men in the room, because I, you know, I do love you dearly, but for me to stand up here and quote a straight white guy is really disappointing to me. Really, really, really disappointing. But Jeffrey Hazlett made, had a quote, and it was to a bunch of chief marketing officers of major corporations. So I want you to you know, keep that context in mind. And he says, relationships matter. And we have forgotten that intimacy can exist in a digital environment through data, responses, and personalization. Relationships matter. So my frustration and reason why I wrote the book Build Your Dream Network was so much advice on networking which for me is, is the most intimate activity of building human relationships. My frustration was the lack of personalization, generic advice, one size fits all. It sounds like a mobile ad someone served up to you five years ago, doesn't it? And that advice, you know, generic advice on networking is contrary to the tech and economic trends that are being forecasted based on what? Us, our activity. What we're demanding is individuals, as human beings, as people creating and living in this 
new connected era. So your goal when networking is to be heard. There is not a one-size-fits-all approach. My name is Dr. Sue Black, and I'm a social entrepreneur, an author, um, and lots of other things. So 30 years ago, my life was disrupted. I was married, I had three small children. This is me here. Um, I was woken up at 6 o'clock one morning by my now ex-husband. Uh, he was shouting, saying that he was going to kill me, and he was going to kill our children. I, it, it kind of took me a few seconds to kind of work out what was going on, and he was just shouting at me, get out, get out, or I'm going to kill all of you. So I packed a suitcase, I had one-year-old twins, I took loads of nappies and stuffed them in the suitcase, I took my kids' clothes, stuffed them in the suitcase, found a few clothes for myself, put those in the suitcase, then went downstairs, got the double buggy, put the twins in the double buggy, took my three-year-old daughter's hand and kind of led her along so that she was holding on to the side of the double buggy. I grabbed the suitcase and we opened the door and ran away. And we ran about uh, three minutes uh, away to my friend's house. Um, we had kind of, I was just so scared and I didn't quite know what I was doing. So we went over to my friend over the road. I banged on the door. It was about 6.30 in the morning. And my friend let us in, and I told her what had happened. She said, OK, let's, let's find you a place to stay. I had no family that I could go to. Let's find you a place to stay. So she phoned up uh, women's aid, like women's refuges, and gave me the phone. I talked to them. I told them what had happened and gave them the number. And she said, the, the lady on the phone said, we'll call you back in a minute, put the phone down, we'll call you back, and we'll tell you what to do and where to go. So I put the phone down, and we kind of sat there looking at each other. The kids were still half asleep, really. And then a couple of minutes later, the phone rang again, and I picked it up and said hello. And it was my ex-husband shouting down the phone, I'm going to kill you, I'm coming to get you. So I slammed the phone down, scared stiff again, put the kids, got the kids back together, ran out the house down to another friend about 10 minutes away down the road, arrived at her house, banged on the door, told her what had happened. She invited me in, looked up the number for me, phoned Women's Aid. I phoned Women's Aid and they gave me an address in Peckham, like the other side of London, we were in West London, and uh, told me to just get a taxi and get to the refuge. So I didn't have any money, so I borrowed 20 pounds from my friend and ordered a taxi, got in the taxi, and uh, we went across uh, the whole of London to South London, to Peckham, to a women's refuge, and, and then we were safe, thank goodness. Um, so that was 30 years ago now, and what happened after that was we lived in the refuge for six months, and then we got a flat in Brixton, uh, which is quite near where we were in the refuge, so I'd started getting to know that area, and we kind of started a new life. I found a, a school for my daughter and a playgroup for my sons, and then I started thinking, so what am I going to do? What am I going to do now? We were living on benefits, 
Again, I had no family, so I had no support really from anybody, and um, I, had, I had no money. Um, I didn't want to live with almost no money, uh, and I didn't quite know what to do. I'd left school at 16, and I hadn't, you know, I'd never had a high-paying job or anything. I just thought, how am I going to look after these kids? How am I going to earn enough money to provide for them on my own? So, this is where the story gets a bit better. <laughs> so, so, what I decided to do was to kind of change myself, to become a different person. My life had been disrupted, but I really wanted to be the person taking charge of my own life. And so I decided to, to get out there, scared as I was. I was a really shy person. Scared as I was, and, and do something to, to change our lives for the better, to change my life. So I went along to the local college and signed up for a maths course. So I did a maths course at night school uh, for a year, and then I got on to um, university. So I did a degree in computer science at uni while I was bringing my kids up, and then uh, a few years after that, uh, I did a PhD, so I got a PhD uh, in software engineering. And I, I never, if I'd kind of go back to the person that I was before all of that trauma happened, I never would have dreamed really that anything like that would happen, that I would get to uni, that I would get a degree, that I would get a PhD. So in 2001, I, I got a PhD. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, and I was then finally able to, to really um, financially uh, look after my children. Uh, so that was a great feeling. Sue, you are an author. You've written uh, a book about saving Fleshley Park. Yeah. What is the biggest risk about writing, that's involved in writing a book? Possibly not finishing it. <laughs> I think I hadn't written a book before, so I've got an academic background. I'd written papers and written my PhD thesis, which is kind of a book. Um, but I think only about five people have ever actually read that. Um, so I was hoping for a few more people uh, to be reading uh, Saving Bletchley Park. So I guess the biggest risk for me as I was going through it was, do I actually know how to do this? Can I do it? Again, like Kelly was saying, like, is anyone going to read it? You, you know, you really just don't know when you go into it. And, you know, so can I write it and will anyone read it, I guess, was, uh, yeah, in my mind, the biggest risk. When I think about Sue's book, it is more than just how is Bletchley Park saved and the campaign. It was about the risk of someone not saying something. If Sue hadn't so passionately cared about this moment in our history and the importance of it and said, you know what, I need, you know, people wonder, how can one person make a difference? One person can make a difference because... Sue said, I, I need to do something, and her personal action, the fact that it is now documented in a book is like a treasure for all of us, but the biggest risk is if Sue hadn't stepped forward. Oh. <laughs> what was the big opportunity that came out of writing the book? Um, I guess sharing the story. Um, so like Kelly said, you know, and actually lots of people had asked me to write the story of you know, what we did during the campaign, because it was three years and, and social media was used a lot. You know, we used, used Twitter a lot during the campaign. And, you know, I would say now I'm a Twitter addict and that's because of the campaign. <laughs> because I was just on it all the time, trying to find more people to get involved with Saving Bletchley Park. Um, so, so that's been amazing and, and it's actually been great, the response that I've had from people. So, you know, same kind of thing as Kelly's saying, 
you know, you spend all this time writing the book, you don't really know what's going to happen, you don't know if people will like it. Uh, and then when people come up to you uh, and tell you that they loved your book, and quite often, like, their, their grandmother worked at Bletchley Park, so, you know, I've just done my talk, the lady backstage who put my headset on, her husband's mother or grandmother worked at Bletchley Park. I gave a talk in um, uh, Silicon Valley, out in San Francisco in December, and there was a lady there who I think was 112 or something, or 102, 100 and something. And she'd been, at, she was one of the, you know, she'd worked at Bletchley Park. And so it just kind of, writing the book and getting it out there just brings all of these amazing stories. You get to meet these amazing people. I mean, I just can't recommend being an author more highly. I just love it. Tell us about the Stephen Fry connection. <laughs> so... I just started using Twitter in about, when was it? I think it was the 3rd of February 2009. I actually remember the date. Um, and um, I was you know, trying to get people excited about Bletchley Park, tell them what the story was, uh, get them involved in the campaign and get them to tell all their friends about Bletchley Park. So trying to create an impact to get people to go and visit. And um, I was always kind of like casting around, trying to work out what to do to, to kind of promote it promote Bletchley Park more and then one night I saw a tweet from Stephen Fry he tweeted a selfie of himself and some friends um, stuck in a lift in a, a big tower block in the middle of London and um, he said you know something like I don't know we've we've pressed the alarm bell and we've tried phoning the number on the wall and we're still stuck so we thought we'd tweet a selfie uh, to see if if anyone can come and rescue us which is I think it's a really funny thing to do um, so I started laughing but then I thought actually Stephen Fry He's a geek, like a self-confessed geek, and I know he loves history and stuff, so maybe I could get Stephen Fry involved in the campaign. So I saw that tweet, and, and I saw that he was following me, which I hadn't realised before. I don't know how that happened. Um, and uh, so I just thought, well, I'll send him several direct messages and see if he responds. You know, maybe he'll, he'll help out. So I sent him a link to my blog, my Saving Bletchley Park blog and said, um, you know, sent a few messages saying, please help, if you got involved, it would make a massive difference. And, you know, we need to save Bletchley Park, blah, 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 blah. So I sent that, I think that was probably after a couple of bottles of beer one evening, and then went to bed thinking, oh, nothing will happen. But, you know, I gave it a go. And uh, the next morning, there I'm sitting at my uh, computer, and I get like a, an email which is saying, Stephen Fry just sent you a direct message. And I was like, oh my god Stephen Fry sent me a direct message oh my god so I was like oh shaking I clicked on it and he said um oh something like you know thanks for getting in touch you know we need to say Bletchley Park I've tweeted a link hope it helps or something like that and then so I checked and then he he tweeted uh, a link to my blog and in those days I was getting about 50 hits a day on my blog and just one uh, tweet from him and I got 8,000 that day so that really taught me a lesson which is Go and find key influential people who care about the same things that you do. And it can just make, you know, that was like five minutes, well, work. It wasn't really work, but, you know, five minutes of effort for me. And look what an amazing difference that made because I found someone who was the right kind of person to get involved. So, so it's a very long version. <laughs> but I have to ask yeah. the question. Yeah. Did you ever help him get out of the elevator? <laughs> <laughs> no, I forgot all about it. I guess he did. No, he did, right? Because I met him. I met him several times. <laughs> And amazingly, so I went to, so Steve Colgan, who wrote the book with me, um, he's a, a writer on um, QI. So Steve invited me to go to see the, the filming of QI um, about a year or two ago. So I went along and I was in the audience and I hadn't realised, but um, Steve Colgan had told Stephen Fry that I was in the audience that night. 
and um, so Stephen Fry like started like the warm-up thing before they actually started filming and he said oh, I'm going to give some shout-outs here to a few people and he's you know he said a few names and then he said one of my own personal heroes is in the audience tonight and I just started thinking no it must be someone else, can't be me. And then he said, Dr. Sue Black, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. That just kind of made my life. I just can't think of anything better that could happen to me. Well, apart from marrying my husband, obviously, I have to say that. Uh, we can my that whole life. Yeah. Yeah. That the podcast, and you kids won't hear this either. Don't worry. But don't worry. You, you built your dream network with those few Yeah, days. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, crazy. I, I would say that the great thing about uh, Kelly's book is that it kind of gives you permission to network because networking is just like, well, this word that is kind of sounds a bit sleazy. We kind of think like networking is sleazy because it's chatting to people and kind of selling yourself and that's not like a good thing to do. Um, but you read Kelly's book and you realize it's like reclaiming networking, I think. So you realize, no, actually it's a great thing to do because it's about making friends and it's about finding people that can inspire you and you can inspire them and you know you can kind of help each other to get to where you want to go and it sort of gives you permission to to go out there and enjoy networking and I think that's what's great about the book. Mic drop from Sue Black on that one. <laughs> Boom. I'm out. So my thanks to Kelly Hoey and Dr. Sue Black for talking to us about the experiences of being an author. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. It was fun. So that was Sue Black and Kelly Hoey and as you can hear they have plenty to talk about and you know when we were talking to them I was thinking oh these ladies need their own podcast and you know what they're setting up their own podcast so be sure to check out the Pink Sparkly podcast when it comes out. Next episode we'll be meeting Tracy Chow so be sure to join us for that and hear about her story which is quite an interesting one. She started off sort of inside the bubble in Silicon Valley and she really challenged companies to release data about gender diversity with really some amazing results so be sure to check that out. So that was the third of 11 episodes, plenty more to come, but if you've missed any, make sure you go back and check out episodes one and two. And please do leave us a review on iTunes to help others find InspireFest the podcast too. If you want to find out more about InspireFest, be sure to check out InspireFest.com. This episode was produced by Bureau. I've been Claire O'Connell. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget, folks, that InspireFest 2018 is on June the 21st and 22nd in the Borgot Energy Theatre in Dublin. So do go along to InspireFest.com and check out the speakers, book your tickets and come along because you won't regret a minute of it. There are not only the super speakers on stage, but also wonderful people go to InspireFest and there's a lot of events and it's a huge amount of fun. So come along. This is my first time here and I've had an amazing time! Um, and we're just saying like, oh my god, I have to come back next year. Every single thing here has been so inspirational and you just know that they've faced the same struggles as you. And gosh, it's just been absolutely amazing and there's been such amazing advice. And it's been all from a perspective I can relate to. It's phenomenal. I've had a phenomenal time and I'm coming back. Yay!